everyone, and welcome to the Creating Your Own Path podcast. I'm your host, Jen Snyder, and we're recording today from Think House Collective, which is a collaborative shared workspace for Sacramento's creative class. As always, you can listen to the show on iTunes and the Stitcher app. You can also catch two new episodes each month at jenniferesnyder.com. Today, I've got Stephen Tiller on the show, and he is the incredible talent behind Reclamation Art and Furniture, based right here in Sacramento. As an artisan, furniture maker, product designer, and craftsman, he wears a lot of hats, uh, and it shows in his product lines. He creates everything from custom residential furniture and bike storage solutions to um, one-of-a-kind commercial work, um, which, by the way, can be seen throughout the Sacramento region. Uh, And I'm really excited to have him on the show today. So welcome, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Uh, okay, so let's kind of get started with your career path. Um, I want to know how you got to where you are today and, and kind of talk through how that, how that all came about. And then I want to know if you ever had a nine to five that you had to maybe opt out of in the past. Um, it was uh, not really necessarily not nine to five, but I did do a lot of um, kind of spread the game and a lot of retail, a lot okay. of restaurant and bar, mm-hmm. and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of that kind of stuff through my early 20s and into my 30s. Um, as far as where I'm at now, um, I was always a pretty creative kid. Okay. And, uh, my dad was always mad because the tools were in the woods somewhere. Nice. So, <laughs> I like um, that. I like um, that. But uh, I, I think that um, the reclamation, not not knowing it at the time, I think the reclamation or furniture stuff starts, probably started when I was a teenager. Oh, wow. Um, my dad had brought home this... Uh, this industrial drafting desk from an old Boeing plant. Cool. And it was this massive hulk of steel mm-hmm. desk with this giant drafting table mm-hmm. on it. And it was just impossible to get up into my room. So we got rid of the steel desk and I built this whole wooden apparatus out of wood stuff downstairs. Oh, so you just built your own? Yeah, we just built wow. And then took the desktop off and moved it upstairs. And so um, uh, I spent most of my use in in drafting classes and okay. uh, wanted to be an architect and, and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, spent years in construction and then um, uh, eventually, uh, after working for my brother and other contractors mm-hmm. and a lot of builders and stuff like that, I ended up uh, becoming a licensed contractor back oh, okay. in 2005, 2006, somewhere around there. Okay. Um, and... Uh, that was right before everything collapsed. That was. That was a tough um, time. So uh, I, th- I started the business. It was doing really well. Uh, fell flat on my face with that because yeah. the whole, whole thing kind of collapsed. Yeah. Um, and then uh, out of that, um, I did a lot. I went from doing residential remodel on these really nice houses to fixing people's garbage disposals, just trying to do anything, everything right. I could to keep the the um, keep it going. And then um, eventually, I I kind of went back to all this stuff I've been doing over the years, just mm-hmm. kind of claiming old stuff and rehabbing it and um, building furniture pieces out of whatever we had okay. and. Uh, my my house is full of test pieces. Nice. So so everything everything in my house is like okay, let's see if this works. Okay. And then I'll take that and and um, turn it into uh, a more refined finished piece for a client. Oh, cool. Um, so I, I do a lot of these ideas stuff. But um, anyway, I started I started the 
um, reclamation art furniture came out of post contractor and construction stuff. Okay. So when did you actually start reclamation art, art furniture? 2011. Okay. Okay. Spring of 2011. Okay. Officially got an LLC and started. I see. Okay. Um, I'd been using the name for art shows and stuff like that. Um, Okay. Prior to that. Okay. I've been using, um, construction materials to create um, art pieces using leftover oh, cool. stains and paints and yeah. all this kind of stuff to that had come off the job sites as waste and I was creating art with it. And rather than having it go to waste. Yeah, yeah, yeah rather, that's rather, amazing. Rather, rather than having it go to waste. So from, okay. from the basic small art stuff, it started to develop into um, furniture and um, things like that. So, okay, that's awesome. Um Okay, so when you first launched, and this, I remember kind of watching this happen. You you um, you started making the bike ballet, which was really popular. It seemed like it was it was all over a lot of you know different social media feeds. I was seeing right. it everywhere, um, and then you kind of had a setback in the form of a robbery, Correct. right, at your studio, yeah. and then you launched a Kickstarter campaign, which was also successful, mm-hmm. um, and then the bike ballet kind of made it out into the world a little bit. So can you talk about that project, the ups and the downs and the Kickstarter campaign and kind of what it meant for your business? How, how did it impact you? Um, yeah, that was a really intense year. Yeah. A couple, couple of years. Actually. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we had, I just started reclamation art furniture. Um, we were expecting our little one mm-hmm. and, um, uh, I think we only had doors open six months and we got kind of slapped in the face with this robbery where yeah. they had, um, through my construction and all this other stuff that had done, I collected tools over 15, right. 20 years and to, to come into work and then it, it all just be evaporated gone. Oh my gosh. We had to come up with a way to, um, one, replace that loss mm-hmm. and, um, to kind of move forward. So, um, I was planning on doing Kickstarter anyway with a bike, bike ballet. And oh. I thought, um, I think this was first of January, uh, the okay. two, 2012. This was right at the beginning of January is when, when we had the loss. So, um, and I had planned on launching the Kickstarter in March. Oh, okay. And it just, it kind of force fed the whole thing forward. Right. Um, so, uh, went home, got the camera, we, filmed the Kickstarter video mm-hmm. and over the course of like five days we put it together. Wow. Um, and so uh, with the help of a lot of local people in the community, there was a fundraiser. Um, we sold everything, all the furniture I had left, we, we sold it all on, on kind of this silent auction thing. Oh, and, okay. And so a, a lot of the community and the people around Sacramento really kind of came together and, and I just, I couldn't think of yeah, that's amazing. And it gave us this little bit of breathing room to kind of keep our apartment, yeah, and house, and like uh, all all this all this just stuff. And yeah, um, so we launched the Kickstarter. The Kickstarter uh, got uh, a lot of press, like mm-hmm. you're saying, mm-hmm. and it uh, it ended up being successful. We got written up on a lot of design blogs. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up with a lot of international recognition as well as local recognition. It produced enough 
uh, revenue to replace the basics. Oh, that's amazing. Um, not everything. That of course. Lost, but, it, but it did produce enough to, to replace the basics and do the first production run of okay. the bike fillet. Okay. And then that first production, bike fillet, produced enough to do a second production run. Wow. And then the second production run was, well, I guess a failure would be the only way to put it. Oh, really? Um, yeah, there was a lot of vendor problems. Oh, okay. Um, so the quality that was coming back didn't didn't meet up with something that I could sell to a customer. I got you. Didn't, didn't, um, there was just flaws and issues and things that were coming back from the vendors that I, I couldn't put out in right. the world. So eventually I pulled it off the market um, and... Yeah, turned off the website and redesigned, and then um, we have relaunched it a few months ago. Okay. And then right now it's up for pre-order, and um, we've gone from the original powder-coated steel version to the aluminum. Oh, okay. And just kind of sleeked it down and redone okay. it and have relaunched it. And so now I'm trying to build the interest back in it and okay. get it going again. But it's that's just really one. cool. Yeah, it's such a, it's. It looks so simple, and, it's, and it is. It's really clean, really clean design, um, but it's genius <laughs> because it's so simple. And, you know, so I, I really, I, I liked watching that kind of come out and, and take place, you know, the Kickstarter campaign and all of that. Right. Um, it, was, it, was, it was a learning curve. Like, oh, I, absolutely. I, had, uh, I, I didn't know anything about manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know. I, I, I just... Yeah. So it was it was learn as you go and fall on your face and learn yeah. some more and fall on your face some more. Yeah, I feel like that happens in a lot of creative endeavors too. Right. It's um people have these ideas and you kind of jump right in with both feet and then you have to just figure it out as you go along. Um so so you're you've you said you've relaunched for pre order, so that's available right now, right? Because yeah, I'll link up to everything at the end. Yeah, the pre order sites uh, uh okay. um were about um 60-70% of the way there Oh, cool! For to meet a manufacturer minimum we're going to have it uh, made down in Petaluma I found oh, somebody cool. down in Petaluma nice. to do uh, anodized aluminum so that's really cool um, but that's a that's that's a small facet of what what I'm trying to do on a larger whole Absolutely. furniture and all, all this other stuff so it's one of those things that I keep moving in the background but really I'm I'm just trying to build this body of work. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And I kind of want to talk about that actually. So the, as your business name sort of suggests, you you use a lot of reclaimed Mm -hmm. um, materials. A lot of the time, can you talk about how you find the materials? How do you source things and what, what goes into say making, um, you have some amazing platform beds, you know? And so I want to know kind of, you know, Say a client wants a piece. How do you go about sourcing the materials and, and making what they need? Um, uh, I work with both reclaimed and new materials. Okay. Um, I think that we, as uh, kind of a culture and society, mm-hmm. are just rapidly losing those new material resources. Sure. Um, so uh, it's not necessarily a new idea, but it's now become pretty mainstream. This oh, kind of definitely. Collect and reuse, and and, and so. Um, we harvest a lot of construction materials. Mm-hmm. Um, I scour Craigslist. I use salvage yards. There's some great architectural salvage yards kind of all over the place. Oh, okay. Um, there's uh, um, there's some Bay Area. There's some Petaluma. There's there's all these different avenues. Um, the 
kind of difficult things that stuff that I was finding for free two or three years ago right. is now caught on and people are charging actually more for reclaimed material than they right. are for the new material mm-hmm. because of the, the labor and the cost it takes to reclaim it and pull the metal out of it and sure. sort it and categorize it and all this stuff. So, well, they're realizing there's a market for it. Right? Yeah, they're absolutely yeah. realizing mm-hmm. that there's a market for it. So um, we kind of glean and grab that material from everywhere. Okay, that's awesome. Um, and then I use a lot of what's what I, I kind of dubbed as urban harvest uh, okay. timber, um, which is uh, there's some tree services and mm-hmm. sawyers and um, different hardwood guys kind of spread out all over California and Oregon and Washington that are all doing these ur- these uh, urban harvest projects where they take these trees that have they're in the cities and they're at the end of their lifespan mm-hmm. and they either have to be removed because they're diseased right. or they're at the end of their lifespan or they're, um, uh, they're storm damaged. Right. They come down and land on somebody's house and they need to remove Right. I was going to say it's usually because they can cause harm or damage, right? right. That's why they have to come right. down anyway. So, um, so there's this, these, uh, in this area, in mm-hmm. the Sacramento area, there's this Clara Walnut and Elm and uh, all these different species mm-hmm. that are kind of localized. They're, right. they're specific to the, to the West Coast. And so I work with a lot of these tree harvesters and sawyers in town that, that collect this stuff and, mm-hmm. uh, and purchase a lot of material through them. So oh, it's, cool. it's kind of what you, you got to find out what the client wants and then go from there. Go from there and source it for them. Okay. And then make suggestions and but that's cool that you have a lot of different avenues to kind of call all of that together mm-hmm. and pull it together mm-hmm. to kind of fit the needs of the client. So that's, it's good that we have that available. Um, so on the commercial side of things, um, you've worked with a lot of businesses, both local and otherwise, mm-hmm. um, and they include Lowbrow, the Perigary Restaurant Group, Trumpet, Old Soul, and a lot more. Um, again, you guys who are listening, I'm going to be linking to the to the site um, over on the journal, so you can kind of see all of his work. But um, and as we mentioned, you also make a lot of furniture for the home. So, how does the creative process sort of differ for you between the commercial work um, and a design that might end up in somebody's home? Uh, I think that. Uh the commercial work, you're usually working with um, an architect or designer. Okay. And it's kind of in conjunction with the, the project owner or whoever the business is. Okay. Um, and there, there's a lot less, um, it's still really cool, but there's a lot less emotional attachment to right. the piece. Um, a lot of these things, they're going into restaurants. The restaurant has a lifespan. And they're like, this is a current design this is what we want to do okay it's got a five or ten year lifespan and then they're going to update or remodel or change their theme or something like that so they're just putting together an envelope to put people in to right to, to, to serve the food and do what they got to do yeah um and they still want the design to be cool they still mm-hmm. want but it, it wants to be um it's got to be cost effective and Absolutely. you got to balance all this stuff mm-hmm. whereas it differs from um residential work it's a much more emotional experience for okay. for the for the buyer so with a residential um client it, it's far more involved we, okay. we sit down and go through things i visit their home they visit the studio there's 
there's this kind of long process and you kind of develop this relationship and this friendship with them and and you you want to give them something that ends up being in their family for a very long time right um so i think i think the the goal with the residential piece is that um it's going to be around a lot long after right that's interesting i um you know, when I was writing writing out these questions, um, things I'm curious about, I didn't even think about the lifespan of a piece. I mean, obviously, I've thought about it in terms of the furniture in the home, but I didn't think about it for retail or residential, or I'm, I'm sorry, um, restaurants or, or what have you, that, that maybe they they don't see it as a long-term thing. I, mm-hmm. I didn't even think about that. So that's one of the big differences then. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, going to that lifespan, I just... Uh, uh, a couple weeks ago, I had uh, this elderly lady, so, so sweet, she was super sweet, she was in her 80s, mm-hmm. and she had bought a piece mm-hmm. from George Nakashima, which is um, the where all the live-edge furniture came from, okay. uh, the 40s and 50s, he's, okay. he's the original, mm-hmm. he's, he's, the, he's the one where it all came from. She had um, bought this piece from him in 1963, Okay, and... Wow. Uh, a few months ago that was damaged by a contractor. She'd had the table for 50 years. Uh, and she brought it to me and asked me if I could repair it. So I brought it in the studio and um, we we fixed it. Mm-hmm. And it, it. It worked really well. But um, going back to that, that lifespan issue, this table was five decades old. Right. And it was stunning. Like there mm-hmm. was no, there's not a loose joint on it anywhere. Wow. And so... I'm sure that that table will be around for another hundred years. Right. Easily. Oh, I mean, I'm sure it just broke her heart to even right. have it be damaged in the first place. Right. I got chills. I thought, oh my gosh, one right. of my favorite pieces of furniture got damaged that way. Right. She raised, she raised three kids on it. She, wow. It, it, had been there, it had been part of her life for, for 50 plus years. Right. That's part of her story. Yeah, you know. It's absolutely part of her story. Wow. She's so, so happy to have it. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. So you... Is that sort of a one-off thing, the repair, or do you do that often? Do you have? A I lot don't of do it. I don't do it often, but okay. um, I I recognize the piece mm-hmm. and I recognize who it's from, and right. I have a tremendous amount of respect for, right. for people like that, like Nakashima and mm-hmm. Maloof and all these kind of old-school designers that really develop their own style and right. their own jewelry and their own. Um, uh, they're masters of what they did, yeah. And, and so to have a chance to uh, work on a piece like that, and just just to be in close proximity and work right. on it, and see things that I was like, oh, well, I, I'm self-taught, right? I didn't I didn't go to a joinery school, I didn't go to a woodworking school, so sure. everything that um, everything that I've learned over the years is from doing and failing and figuring it out, right? Yeah. Like, um, and, and so to be in, to have a chance to work on a piece like that was just couldn't say no. no <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, well that's a good that's a good story. I'm glad you were able to help that woman out. <laughs> um, so I'm going to turn the page just a little bit and kind of go to the, the business side of things in a in a way. Um, and you've got a young family, and I'm always kind of interested to hear how people make um, make this work being a business owner, but you're also a dad, you know, you've got, you've, you've got your life, you've got your, the creativity side of things where you get an idea and you have to see it come, you know, come to fruition. And then you've, you know, you've probably got to figure out taxes and all the boring side of business as well. Um, and so how do you make that 
balance work? Uh, I would love to tell you. I'll figure it out. But I, it, it's uh, it's incredibly hard. Yeah, just I, a lot of work. It, we we are a family of completely opposite schedules. Yeah. Um, I get home. She leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, we. Uh, it didn't make sense for us mm-hmm. to take our little one and put him right into daycare. Right. Um, because we would just be, one of us would be going to work just to pay for daycare. Right. I've actually and heard so that struggle a lot. It is. It's it very is expensive. Common, yeah. It's a common one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that finding, finding that balance is super important. I think that some days we get it and some days we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that um, for staff, being fortunate enough to stay home um, with our little one is, mm-hmm. is um, a huge blessing, mm-hmm. but also really difficult. Yeah, sure. Sure. It's never, it's never easy all the time. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, well, if it makes you feel any better, I get that answer a lot. That it's, you yeah. know, it's day by day. Right. You know, you just kind of, this is today. This is what we're doing right now in this moment. <laughs> we, we try and prioritize and we right. about time where we can. And mm-hmm. uh, like I said, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Right. But, but we, we do our best. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in terms of creativity, uh, we're kind of at the point in the, the episode where I like to ask, um, not rapid fire questions, but sort of, they're sort of the same questions I ask a lot of people. Um, I want to know what inspires your creativity. So, um, whether that's people or places or things or, or experiences, I'm always curious. Uh, colossal failure over and over. Yeah. Uh, just a matter of trying. Yeah, I mean, you just, you, you, you learn, you learn a tremendous amount more by, um, having something not work. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. Um, it, it's, it gives you uh, this envelope of information more so than if something works immediately and mm-hmm. you're like, great, that worked. Yep. And you don't delve into it to figure out why um, it worked. Why, why it worked. Mm-hmm. Like, my cell phone works. I have no idea why my cell phone <laughs> works, but it works. But thank goodness it does. And right? time, you know, I can text somebody and somebody in England gets a text. Right, like, right. And I don't know how that happens because mm-hmm. um, that's not where my brain works. Right. But... Um, it, uh, if you repeatedly, um, are working on a project and this doesn't work, and this doesn't work, and this doesn't work, and you get to the point where you solve that issue and you right. solve that problem, mm-hmm. it, it now, you have all this information to, to back that up and now you can move forward off the success. Right. And you can kind of tuck that information away for next time I find. So, um, I've had lots of failures in my, my little experience trying to be a business owner. So, uh, and I will, I have to agree with you hundred percent. It's, it's definitely, um, it's not the fastest way to learn something, no. but, but it's definitely the one that sticks with you the longest. So, um, okay. So if you had, and maybe this is, this was your advice, but if you had one bit of advice to give somebody looking to start a creative business, what would that be? Um, I think that uh, they need to put the time in. I think that they need to they need to study. They need to experiment. Mm-hmm. They need to fail repeatedly, um, and focus on the body of work, whatever that is. Okay. Um, I I think that if you don't put in the time, if you only 
go in and you have this creative endeavor and you have something in your mind and you only put four hours a week into it, it'll it will never right. It'll never come to fruition. It'll never happen. Um, and if you only see something in your head and you don't put in the work and you don't build the body of work, no one right. will ever see it. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't that doesn't push you forward as a creative. Yeah, that's really good advice. Um, kind of putting yourself out there, even you know you talked about in your in your house you have a bunch of like prototypes, right? Mm-hmm. And so you live with those. I live with regularly, months, yeah. right? And so that's huge because if it isn't working, if something isn't, you are faced with that day to day. You know what I mean? And so it's a good, it's a good way to kind of put yourself out there, even if it's just for you and your family to try and figure mm-hmm. out if it were, it would work in anybody else's home. That's important. Right. Um, but I think it's also, it's interesting. You touched on it that um, if it never makes it out of your head, if it never makes it out into the world in some way. For other people to say, "Oh yeah, I would live with that," or "I won't, I wouldn't live with that." Um, that's also really important. So that's it's good advice. Um, so this one is a bit a bit of a fun question, um, and I like to always ask people if if you weren't doing you know reclamation art and furniture, if you if there was anything else in the world that you could be doing rather than that, what would that be? So uh, professionally, um, I, I think two things. One, uh, when I was when I was a kid, all I wanted to do was be an architect. Okay. And through the course of my life, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always kind of remained in this genre of sure. creating and building and and that kind of stuff. And um, I, I, I'm always fascinated with architecture. I'm always fascinated with buildings. I'm always fascinated with how things go together. Sure. So it's kind of in the same vein, but I think that... Um, architecture would be another choice. The other one that's that's kind of different is that I had this um, this lady who was a chiropractor when I was a kid. I mm-hmm. hurt, hurt myself kind of young and over um, through my teens and early 20s. She worked on me quite a bit and I always had this tremendous amount of respect for her ability to fix a problem in the body that was... Right. She, she had this ability to put her hands on you and, and at the end of it, you would get up and walk away. And, right. And it wasn't like a religious experience or anything. But no. She had this, this skill set where she would she would move your body around and dig in your muscles, and and then you would stand up and you go, oh, that's that's it's relief, <laughs> sweet relief, amazing. And I always I always had respect for that. And, well, and I thought that would be a really cool career. Yeah. If you, if you put the time in and learn that ability. I right. Well, and it's interesting because chiropractors kind of just know how the body is put together right and so they right. can they and it's it's interesting you like to know how buildings are put together you want to know how furniture is put right. together so there's I think it, there's a lot of yeah together. there's a lot of structure to that in terms right. of um how things work and why they work right. um and and how your body works so it's kind of along it's interesting it's kind of in that same at least in my mind it, it fits together but okay so I want to kind of look toward the future a little bit and I know that you've got some projects and promotional opportunities coming up, including you had mentioned that you are going to start recording Rob on the Road, which for those for those listening, it's a really cool show on our on KVIE, which is our local um, public television station. Um, and so, can you kind of share a little bit about that project? And yeah, so it's uh, uh, it's Rob on the Road, and it's a Heartland America series. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 
kind of in the same vein of the Huelhauser yeah. stuff that was going on years Which, ago. Which, by the so, way, I loved Huelhauser. <laughs> I did, I did. Um, so uh, it's hosted by Rob Stewart, mm-hmm. um, and he he's a, he has an amazing talent for getting people to talk about what they're doing. I, I don't know how he does it, but right. he, he has an amazing talent. He's really good, and he's doing exactly what he should be doing, I think. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so he... Um, he invited me to be part of one of his episodes. Mm-hmm. And so the last few months we've been trying to negotiate how that's going to lay out and when we're going to start filming and things like that. So uh, actually later on this week, we're filming the first part and it'll go in sections. We'll do a few hours here and a few hours there. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to follow it through. Um, one of the Sawyers is taking down a tree locally. So oh, they're cool. going to film part of that. Um, and then we're going to go to his mill and see how some of um the milling gets done and how the material gets processed and then we'll come back to the studio and um, we'll work on a few pieces and talk about the art and kind of do what we're doing here That's today. That's really exciting. So it should be really cool. Um, it's supposed to air this fall, winter. Okay. Um, it'll be filmed this summer and air, air this fall. That is so exciting. And it should be national too, so it's... Oh, it is national. It's okay, national. I wasn't sure. I never, you know... Um, I always just watch it here, so... Right, right. <laughs> so. Local PBS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. Well, that's amazing. Um, so, what do you kind of see... What's next for Reclamation Art and Furniture? Kind of, where do you see... Where do you see yourself kind of down the road? Um, I think I'm just... I'm just going to continue to build this body of work. Like, um, uh, any furniture maker designer with a salt has mm-hmm. got this huge body of work. And right. In the grand scheme of things, I'm still really new at it. Um, I, I, I've been building things for a long time, but professionally, um, it's only been three years. Right. And the first two years of that was um, exceptionally difficult. Right. And it's only been in the last year that we've started started to get my feet underneath me and really kind of gain some momentum. And, okay. Kind of getting in a groove um, with it a little getting bit Getting in a groove with it. And, and I've done all of these pieces kind of just to get the pieces out there. Mm-hmm. So now it's a matter of we've built this body of work and we want to start building on that. Okay. And just kind of get into different markets like New York and okay. Chicago and Seattle and Los Angeles. Gotcha. And all of these major markets where people are actually, where they're, where they're willing to, you know... Invest uh, in Invest in that customer. Yeah. Um, so do you have any... Um, any like shows planned elsewhere, or is that is that a little bit further down the road? Uh, no shows right now. Um, just I, I think uh, the KDI thing is uh, is the focus kind of a, at the moment and a good first step in that a direction good first for step, sure. And I think that's um, that's going to be some great exposure nationally. Absolutely. We got some really great international exposure mm-hmm. with the bike stuff, stuff, um, but it was it was all internet based and block based, um, and I think that. Uh, that exposure is wonderful, mm-hmm. but it's very fleeting. Like uh, absolutely, it um, people read it and they forget about it. Right. Uh, and so it's how do we turn that into uh, a recognition and people all heard of that. Right. I've heard of that. Right. I've heard of that over and over again. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and um, you know, even though I was, I was, I was really impressed by the the Kickstarter well, bike alley because it was so cool and then you know the press that it got um but it's it is such a small uh showing of your work you know what I mean and what you're capable of mm-hmm. as an artist so um 
So that's really exciting. And I hope that people will hear your name over and over again because that's you you're super no, talented you. so um we'll definitely keep an eye out for all of that um and so we're just kind of going to wrap it up um and so for those listening today i will definitely be linking up to everything that we mentioned all of the different websites where you can check everything out uh and they're going to be over in the show notes over at jenniferesnyder.com in the meantime head on over to reclamationartandfurniture.com uh, for more information about steven's amazing work so thank you for being here. Oh, thanks so much, Yeah, I appreciate your time. And once again, thank you to Think House for lending us their recording space. If you've enjoyed these episodes, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Uh, and I just want to give a quick update. For those of you who haven't heard, I've got a listener survey live on the site at jenniferesnyder.com slash path. Um, feedback is incredibly important to me. Um, and I want to make sure that I continue to create a podcast that you all love. So I've been getting a good response so far. Um, but if you haven't had a chance, please head on over and take the quick survey. It's super painless. I promise. Uh, so thanks for listening everyone and we'll catch you next time.